The Today's Homeowner Radio Podcast is brought to you by The Home Depot. How doers get more done. Welcome to Today's Homeowner with Danny Lipford, your partner in home improvement. Everyone has questions about their home. We've got the answers, and we have a few laughs along the way. Informative, entertaining, and sometimes off the wall. Home improvement has never been this much fun. Hello, everybody, and welcome to this hour of today's Homeowner Radio. Got a lot to share with you this hour, including how to repair some 90-year-old windows. There's windows out there that are still uh, good windows that just need a little love, and we're going to talk to a homeowner a few tips on that. Also, storage buildings. What are the best foundations? Uh, concrete, wood, a variety of both. We'll tell you all about that. Also, we're going to give you some great tips on removing stubborn wallpaper and also removing stubborn soot from the front of a fireplace. That can be very frustrating. A lot of emails, as well as my co-host Joe Truini, will have us a simple solution in a little bit. Joe, what can we expect? This is how to make a really simple and quickly executed entry into like a shed or garage or even your house, I guess, in the back of the house where the ground is sort of eroded and maybe turns muddy and soggy in the, after a rain. So this is just a quick way to make a nice, uh, simple entry that you don't have to be dealing with that. Doesn't have to do with dynamite, does it? No dynamite on this one. Well, I'm the, you have to wait no, and stay Just a tuned. small dynamite. You stay just tuned. Small. You never know. <laughs> At your house, hey. I would use the dynamite. <laughs> hey, but we want to help you with anything. I mean, we make it so easy for you to get in touch with us. One way is simply send us an email anytime, todayshomeowner.com slash ask. Uh, we also remind you that you can go on Facebook and uh, go to the Today's Homeowner Facebook page, which is just growing like crazy because they are posting things just every single day, numerous times that are uh, pretty interesting. A lot of times we'll have some surveys and some polls and you can kind of see what other people are doing in and around their homes. We'd encourage you to join us there and then comment and send us anything there. Also, Pinterest and Instagram are, are very wide open. And of course, TikTok and all of our uh, reels and shorts that we put on. So we got a lot of things that we do and we don't, we, you know, we, we have a little fun, but we try to make it um, very useful information that we provide to you. And you can also pick up the phone and call us 800-946-4420. Some wonderful calls we got this week. We're going to tackle a few of them right now. I live here in uh, Virginia and seems like everybody is having the same problem in the yard that I am. Vogue. They are everywhere, all throughout this area, front yard, backyard. It's just terrible. What is the best way to get rid of them? Thank you very much. No one ever calls and says we have one mole giving us no, trouble, right? No, it's always lots everywhere. of moles, of they're course. everywhere. Yeah. They're very social creatures. You know, moles are unbelievable. I remember as a kid seeing one of them. That terrified me. They're scary some, looking, aren't they? They're scary looking things. I'm surprised they haven't made a, a movie about the, the mole that took over the neighborhood or something. What, what, what would be a gang of moles? I wonder, I wonder if, if you have... Yeah, we should look that up. If you have 15 yeah. or 20 moles, uh, is it a herd? I yeah. don't know. We'll we'll have to we'll have to um, look that up sometime. But Joe, you know it. Um, of course, we always talk about moles and voles, and as you've mentioned, right. a yeah. vole, which is very similar, but they're vegetarians, and then right. moles, of course, uh, will eat just about anything. And uh, but it's all about. Um, we have found over the years that it's the problem with the food source keeping um, the moles around. Right? Absolutely. It's typically grubs, right, Danny? We've discovered that if you have grubs 
shrubs in your yard, and there's no way of knowing unless you dig up your grass, your turf, and take a look at the soil, you know, maybe a little just below the grass or an inch into the soil. And who does that? Who goes around digging up their yard to see? But chances are there are grubs in there. And of course, that's why the moles tunnel underneath there and they're eating the grubs. So it sounds like there are a lot of uh, grubs in this whole neighborhood, which isn't surprising, I guess. So what do you do? Well, the best thing to do, the first thing to try is an herbicide. They do specifically make a grub herbicide that you spray on the lawn and it kills the grubs. And you know, eventually if the grubs are not there, then the moles will move on. And the good thing about this particular caller is if he just gets rid of them in his yard, it sounds like the neighboring yards are just as uh, full of grubs, so they'll just move on. But that, that's about the only thing. I mean, they have these electronic things that send out noises. Oh. To scare them. <laughs> None of them work. You can trap them and kill them. You know, they have those spring-loaded spikes, mm-hmm. but, you know, then you have to deal with dead animals and how it sounds like he's got a lot of them. So I would definitely try the herbicide first. By the way, I uh, did a little Googling while you were answering that, and a group of moles is called a labor. Labor, okay. Uh-huh. I, I assume that's how you pronounce it, L-A-B-O-U-R. Yeah, labor. Sounds, like the, sounds like the British spelling of labor. Yeah, labor. Yeah, okay, labor. labor of moles. Yeah. Because they're, they're working all the time. Yeah, yeah they're, they definitely are doing that while you're sleeping. They're digging around underneath the ground. Let's go back to the today's homeowner hotline for another call. Dad, a house fire, and I'm just trying to wonder, how do I get that soot, that black soot and that stuff off my appliances, my furniture, like wood tables? Oh, wow. Boy. Uh, well, that sounds like a lot of soot. Holy it moly! Is, it is yeah. not. It is not easy, and uh, um, you know, you you just have to use de- degreasers and just yeah. just continue. And because the thing about it is, if it's gotten warm or hot during the fire, and the soot got on it uh, while it was really hot and porous, uh, it may be well down in in there. And yeah, I would, right. I would, I would certainly, if it was mine, I think I would take every piece of it outside on a sunny day. Yeah. And I think I would have to go ahead and do some uh, sanding on it just to lightly sand everything, clean it with degreaser, and then um, recoat it with paint or stain or um, varnish, polyurethane, whatever it had before. Because, well, you're going, I mean, all the little crooks and crannies and cracks that you have in furniture, yeah. um, that soot is in there. And it's going to be hard to get that completely out of there. But encapsulating it as much as possible, I think, is uh, going to be the best bet. Yeah, I think I would try, as you said, use a degreaser, TSP, trisodium phosphate, mm-hmm. mix it with water and just clean it really well. He's got a lot of different surfaces, so um, I would try that first and then come back. Any residual, you could try rubbing it with a damp, um, what do they call those, Mr. Clean Magic Erasers? Mm-hmm. Those things are mm-hmm. really, they're pretty are magical yeah, on what they, they can clean, so, mm-hmm. and they're pretty affordable, so I would try that as well. Maybe you can start with that, but... Um, if it's heavily sooted, like Danny said, you might need a degreaser. All right, let's go to the hotline for one more call. My wife um, likes to plant garden around the house, and the neighbor's cat tends to use it for their bathroom. And uh, we, you know, we're friends with the neighbor. We don't want to start any trouble with the neighbor. But <laughs> wonder if you had any suggestions for uh, keeping the garden safe from cat dropping. Thank you. <laughs> you know, yeah. you know, uh, it is so That's funny tough. that yeah. just two two days ago, I had a friend of mine telling me that almost this exact story. It might have really? been him calling in. Who knows? But they were talking about how they, you know, friends with uh, the the neighbors, but the neighbors have several cats, oh, and boy. the cats are coming over, and they just it just keep they just keep tearing up. You know, they're they're digging and scratching around in there, sure. probably using the bathroom or whatever. And um, I said, well, well, what'd you do? He goes, well, I bought a scarecrow. 
And I went. I knew exactly <laughs> what he. I knew exactly what he was talking about. Right. It's the if you recall, and this is something that uh, we've recommended a number of times when people have had trouble with woodpeckers on their, um, right. you know, destroying yeah. their house or deer eating their plants out in the yard. It's simply a motion sensing sprinkler system. So oh, yeah. you just have this 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 That's little device idea. and yeah. you can put it right in the ground or sit it on the ground or set it somewhere and you have water hose to it, you leave it on. Well as soon as it sense senses any kind of movement in that area, it will turn on and spray for as as long as you set it. It can spray for five seconds or five minutes. Well right. if you put it in those areas where the cats have uh, been, you know, um, doing their thing there, um you're able to uh, scare them off. It, it, it won't take many times that right. you'll be able to scare them off. Even leaving it there and not even turning it on um, is uh, is a good deterrent. But um, that completely solved the problem with my friends. However, he said, do remember to turn it off because when you're taking your garbage out, you're going to get a shower. <laughs> so, <laughs> but, but I mean, that works in a lot of cases. You know, I, I've often thought about them down at my boat dock. I see the, the, the fishermen going by and fishing in and around my dock. Well, you know, my dock has, I put Christmas trees under there. I feed right, the fish. Yeah. I do all yeah. of that. Hey, those are my fish. So, uh, <laughs> uh, but I'm trying to Danny's be tolerant. claiming the fish. Right? I'm trying to be tolerant, but I have, uh, it did cross my mind about taking one of those, those things. Can you imagine fishermen out there early in the morning, <laughs> he's going along fishing and all of a sudden he eh, probably wouldn't make for good um, friend, you know, good relationships in the probably neighborhood. Probably not. No, yeah, but uh, but anyway, but cats, you can just Google um, scarecrow sprinkler system. I've done that before. They're not very expensive and be able to solve that problem right there. Hey, coming up, we're going to be talking about storage buildings. If you're thinking of adding a storage building to your backyard, you need to make sure that it's on a good, firm foundation. We'll tell you all about it when we come back here on today's Homeowner Radio. We'll be right back. Today's Homeowner is brought to you by Pavestone, creating beautiful landscapes. You know, we're so proud of our wonderful stations all over the country that carry the Today's Homeowner Radio Show each and every week, including WJDR 98.3 FM in Columbia, Mississippi. Hey, we want to hear from you. How can we help you have the best-looking house on the block? You can give us a call anytime, 800-946-4420. Send us an email, todayshomeowner.com slash ask. Right now, we're going to Oklahoma. Blair's on the line. Blair, tell us all about these windows that you're dealing with, and Welcome to the show. Thank you, Danny. Um, I live in a 90-year-old apartment building made of concrete and brick. Uh, the windows are also 90 years old. Now, management intends to replace them, but in the meantime, the I'm going to call them the pulleys on the inside right. of the window yep. that allow me to hold. Yeah, they're broken, uh, don't work, whatever. Uh, is there a way for me to keep my window up without replacing those? Okay. Um, well, I tell you, it's uh, it's pretty tricky. I mean, I've done this um, on dozens and dozens of windows over the years that were, you know, this older, older, and and that um, trim board, uh, the um, vertical trim board on each side of the window would have to be removed on the inside. Um, yes. Sometimes that can be four inches, sometimes six inches. And what you'll find on a traditional window like that is a window weight that would be about 
oh, probably two inches in diameter and probably 16 inches long that hangs yeah. on ropes. And that's the counterbalance for those things. So either your pulleys have broken or um, which are very tricky to replace, um, but they are somewhat rare that they break. It's usually the rope has gotten old and it's turned loose and that kind of thing. So you just have to get in that wall, um, that that cavity there, and then retie and reconnect that window weight to the nylon string that is um, providing that that's attached to the side of the window. Um, sometimes it's not that hard. You can pop that board off, retie it, put it back on there, but it does require some touch-up painting, and often it requires the replacement of that rope. So a fair amount of work to do that. I mean, um, you know, the other way that's a lot simpler than that is just to have a stick that is the length <laughs> that you want, raise those windows, which can be pretty yeah. heavy, and put the stick in there to keep it from slamming down, kind of a, um, you know, a, a temporary way of doing it. But, uh, boy, I would keep pushing that landlord to get those new windows in. That's going to certainly help uh, in all kinds of ways. Joe, do you have any thoughts on that? Because I can't think of anything externally or, right. you know, as we say, aftermarket that could be added to that to make it to make it work. Yeah, I don't either. But I think the prop stick idea, if these are going to be a temporary, I mean, I don't know, is it imminent that their own owner is going to replace the windows like within a year or so? Maybe you can live with a prop stick. And I would get two, one on each side of the window, and maybe cut one to hold the sash all the way open and cut two more that are half that size so the window's partially open. And the reason I recommend one on each side of the window is if you accidentally knock one off, it's not going to come, you know, if you reach out under the window, you don't want this thing slamming down on you. So I would get two. But if you look on the side on the jam of the window, there's usually a little panel that's screwed in place and you can, it's like a little hatchway. You unscrew yeah, it, that's you, pop right. that, yeah. you pop that yeah. out and that gives you access to that cavity. And you can, with a wire, you can fish out the, the weight and then pull, then put new rope on it. Um, if you want to try to fix it yourself, if you see those little openings on each side of the sash, the, the side where the window slides up and down, it might be painted over. But if you can expose those and pull and and unscrew that and open up that little op that little hatch, then you can you have access to the wall and you can get in there. That's the reason they're there. That's the reason those little hatches are there. And it doesn't take that much work. Assuming the pulleys are in good shape, you just tie a new piece of rope and you have to pull the sash out to attach the rope, the other end of the rope to the side of the window sash. Um, but you'll see where the old rope is attached and you just have to replace sure, it with the sure. new rope. Is the access you're talking about on the inside of the window or the yep. front teeth? Nope, the, the inside, trim. like for, like where the window slides up and down, the sash. Yeah, like okay. when, when, when you have the window open, it would be on your left and your right. Yeah, that's a, yeah. That's, that, that's a good... I uh, see, good okay. Yeah, so take a look and see there. if you have those little accesses. Okay, all right, that's a good idea. All right, good. Thank you very good luck. much. Well, well, we hope, thank you. We hope you can take care of it and uh, be able to enjoy the good weather that's right around the corner. That's what I'm hoping. <laughs> <laughs> okay. All right, you take thank care. You so Thanks much. so much for being with us. Absolutely. Mm, um, Joe, uh, your idea there is what What's we commonly that? refer to as a simple solution. We do. We, at least I do. Yeah. yeah, there you go. Not not bad, not bad. Well, let's see if you can come up with another one here. Let's see here. We've got a, a bill from Pennsylvania has a email for us here. It says, hi, Danny and Joe. I have a couple of questions. First, we have sliding louvered closet doors, which we don't like. Um, do you have any ideas on what we can do to replace them? Well, you know, the sliding doors, the bypass type doors like that really only give you access to one half of the right. closet yeah. at a time. That can be very frustrating to a lot of people. 
but I have many, many, many times converted that to double doors that will open in the center, and that's the way I have all of my doors hinged, in my, um, my, my new house that are hinged, right, and you yeah. basically are just, and, and a lot of times you'll have little pressure devices to hold it shut, and you know, like roller catches at the top and so forth, and then you just open them right up, and then you have full access to it. That's yeah. what I would recommend, because when you do it that way, the doors, though they open out into the room, they take up very little room um, when you do it. That's a fairly simple project to do and potentially can use the exact same doors that he has uh, unless he wants to get away from the louvered ones, which a lot right. of people yeah. do. Right, yeah, you have to trim them down. But um, yeah, the, the great thing about hinged doors is that um, you have full access and also you can use the back of the doors for storage. You can hang like a storage rack on each door and gives it um, additional storage. And if you wanted to convert these to a bifold, he could do that. That would give you almost um, total access to, mm-hmm. you know, when, when they cl- when they fold close, maybe they take up, I don't know, 10% or 5% of the space. But that's another option to convert this to a folding bifold door um, or the hinged. But yeah, I mean, any sliding door, you only have access to half. He sent us a photograph. This looks like it's only about 30 inches wide. So he only has access to like 15 inches in and right. out of this yeah. closet. Uh-huh. So that can't yeah. be good. Yeah. Okay, Bill's second question is about his fireplace. He says, how can you remove the wood smoke stains or soot off of a stone fireplace? We've uh, since changed the fireplace from wood over to gas. And uh, Bill sent us a picture here, and it's a very typical thing where you have that accumulation of that dark soot directly on the stones. And the problem yep. with that, particularly with uh, with real stones, they probably were not sealed. And that means that that soot has soaked down into there. So you got a little bit of a mess to deal with. But I have used TSP, trisodium phosphate, that we mention all the time, yep. mixed with water the proper way. Maybe, maybe mix it to where it's almost a paste. And then you uh, take a spray bottle and lightly wet the the area that is stained and then apply this paste on it. Just kind of rub it in, get your little plastic brush, just kind of rub it in, work it a little bit, let it let it sit there a while. You want to cover up everything below it because, you, you know, you'll have a fair amount of water and dripping that takes place. And uh, let that work a little bit and then scrub it off with clean water and might have to do it a second time. But uh, I found that works very, very well. I let my grill burn a little too hot one time and the stone I have above it um, did the same thing. And the TSP uh, did a really good yep. job on it. A little bit of elbow grease you have to use, but yes. for the most part, it worked very well. And especially in this case, because it looks like it's a r- pretty rough stone surface. So uh, a good stiff bristle nylon brush will will uh, help get that um, TSP solution in there. And you're right, you have to th- because it's a vertical surface, you want to th- mix it to a thick paste and let it sit for a minute and scrub it off. Um, I mean, it's amazing how many times we recommend TSP and it works. stands for trisodium phosphate, which sounds like a you know a really terrible chemical, but it's pretty benign. And, you know, wear, wear glasses, you know, safety glasses and gloves, that kind of thing. But, um, yeah, I'm sure that would clean this soot right up. Yeah, and I say I would cover it with a drop cloth as well as some plastic. That way, you know, you can really soak up everything that you have there. Hey, you're listening to today's Homeowner Radio. We've got a lot of great information we still want to share with you coming up. We are going to talk about the storage building I mentioned earlier. Joe wrote a fantastic book about storage buildings and explored a lot of different ways that you can have that additional storage in your backyard and not have to do it uh, twice. You can do it once and have everything that you need. We're going to talk all 
about it when we come back here on today's Homeowner Radio. Don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. Today's Homeowner is brought to you by Tight Bond, the pro's advantage. Hey, wanted to check to see if you are receiving our Today's Homeowner e-newsletter. We send it out once a week. A lot of great information that you can use around your home. Completely free, very easy to get on the list by simply going to todayshomeowner.com slash newsletters. Right now, we're going back to the hotline. Encourage you to call us at 800 946 4420. Keith is on the line from Florida. Keith, welcome to the show and tell us about uh, some of your plans for your backyard there. Hey, you guys. Thank you uh, for taking my call. Sure. Mm-hmm. Uh, I got my, I even got my today's homeowner 25 years of Danny Lipford hat on today. Oh, there you go. Good, <laughs> good for you. Those are collector's <laughs> items. Good for you. Oh, Keith. yeah. Oh, oh yeah. great. Even Danny's not wearing his hat today, so I'm glad somebody is. <laughs> well, thank you for the hat. So, well, you know, it finally happened. My wife decided that she wants to park her car in the garage, which means I got to get all my stuff out of there. How unreasonable to park (laughs) a car in the garage. What is she thinking? She's being a bully. That's what she is. She's just a bully. (laughs) (laughs) Well, so you know what that means. I got to build me a shed in the backyard. Okay. And um, got a location picked out, and the size would be around 12 by 16, 12 by 18, something like that. Now, because we're in Florida, we got a lot of hurricane codes and all that, so they, they kind of give you just two options for a foundation. And the first one is to put it up on poured concrete pilings and, you know, build a deck on top of them off the ground. And the second is to just pour uh, like a four-inch thick concrete slab right on the ground. So, you know, I'm thinking the, the slab, either way, i got to get into concrete work. But I'm thinking the slab would probably be the easiest. But I like the idea of it being up off the ground so I could store ladders and things like that underneath. But then my wife reminded me that, you know, we got a lot of critters around here that might like to live under there. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I'll bet so. Yeah. You, you don't want to give them a a place to create a little den under there. But, um, well, well, Joe researched a lot of this and wrote a fantastic book about sheds, an amazing, successful book. And Joe, a lot of different ways of, of, um, going about this. And certainly if you put a slab there probably is considered maybe the best way to go, but then that's a kind of a permanent thing. And a lot of times on storage buildings, it may be down the road a little bit. You want to reposition them or you want to, you know, move it out of there or whatever. So what would you recommend to Keith on the best foundation for that? Yeah, well, Keith, you had mentioned it might be 12 by 16 or 12 by 18. Um, And I'm not familiar with the building codes down there, but I know in most of the country and certainly where I am in New England, anything over 200 square feet, requires a permanent foundation, meaning you have to dig down to the frost line and either pour piers or pour concrete footing of some sort. And so that's why, that's the reason the most popular shed size is 12 by 16, because 12 by 16 is 192 square feet. So when, you, when you're less than 200 square feet, then you can use any kind of foundation, including oh, yeah. just an, yeah. an on-grade foundation. So you could take concrete blocks, set them right on the ground, solid concrete blocks, set them on the ground, level them all up, just build your floor frame right on top of that. And then to to tie it to the ground so it wouldn't blow over, they make ground anchors, which are essentially like 
these aluminum, cast aluminum spear points, for lack of a better word, about four inches long, they're attached to a cable. And with uh-huh. a rod, you drive them down into the ground three or four feet. Then when you tug on the cable, the little spear point pivots 90 degrees, and there's no way to yank it out. Then you take the other okay. end of the the other end of the cable and you screw it to the floor frame and you put one in each corner. Now, whether or not that satisfies hurricane code, I'm not sure. I suspect yeah, if I'm this thing sure is bolted, that. if this is bolted to a concrete slab and a hurricane comes through, it's probably going to take the building anyway. Um, but anyway, you'd have to check with your local code. Um, so if you don't have to dig down, um, I mean, the frost line in Florida is, I don't know where you are in Florida, but it might only have to go down two feet. So um, if you want to use concrete, I would do piers instead of, a concrete slab is a lot less work, a lot less concrete. And so, that, but again, you probably should check with the building department if you haven't already done so. Yeah, they're pretty, pretty strict now with hurricane codes. And uh, I mean, piers would be nice. You know, I, like I said, I'd have the storage under there, but then, you know, I still, I either got to form the piers out or I got to right. put in, you know, like a sauna tube form or something like that right so, you'd have to either build yeah. a form or just use sauna tubes which are just the fiber form tubes or round tubes have them stick up out of the ground and pour the concrete to a level you know to support the shed and then well, the floor yeah, would sit on yeah. top of that I, I, i'll bet that they would allow the same type of tie down system that they use for mobile homes what is um, that danny that that it's basically it screws down into the ground it's pretty right, yeah. significant um yeah. auger that goes down into the ground and then you have flat metal straps that can go over the let's say the um four by sixes that you may have for your skids under there oh, yeah um, I, I think that that way you could put it on blocks. You could have the storage underneath there. You could have these tie-down straps that aren't the best-looking thing, but still, that would probably suffice. You'd probably need to put six of them, you know, three on each side to, to suffice. But if it works for mobile homes, it certainly should work for a, a storage building in your backyard. Well, that sounds like something I'd have to look into, yeah. Yeah, Keith, before yeah. you get off the line, talk to Jacob our producer who um, talked to you once we get off the air with you and give him your mailing address. I'll send you a copy of my newest shed book. And it's got a lot of ideas. As oh, far there as you go. Look at oh, you. Thank you. That'd be great. I'd love to see that. Thank yeah, you. No problem. That. I'll exchange it for the hat. You send me the Danny hat and I'll send you. The, <laughs> no, you, you can keep, you can keep both. And, uh, and I'll, I'll send that off to you. That's very nice of you. Hey, by the way, you know, if you, any of the Northern folks coming down here, bringing them doodle dogs with you, just remember, we got those big snakes down here, and they'd love to have one of them doodle dogs for oh, yeah. like a little, <laughs> know, a little I mean, snack would be great for 12-foot python. Yeah, between the snakes and the alligators. Oh, yeah, we got them all. All right, Keith, thanks so much for being with us again, and uh, you take care and hope you have a great weekend. Thank you. You too. Okay, my pleasure. Hey, a quick one here, email um, that you can send us one at todayshomeowner.com slash ask. William from North Carolina says, do you have any recommendation on how to remove stubborn wallpaper backing? Well, we certainly do, and it's a simple, easy formula. You probably have most everything that you need, but the easiest way to do that is to go to todayshomeowner.com in our search engine there, put wallpaper remover formula. And you'll see that it um, involves taking some very hot water. It talks about um, some um, dishwashing liquid as well as some uh, wallpaper remover paste that's available at the home center, most of the time called DIFF. 
and yep. you mix it with a little bit of vinegar, a couple other things, all the quantities, exactly what you need. You spray it on the wallpaper backing and watch what it does. You know, sometimes it's best to put a little piece of um, lightweight plastic over it, let it work overnight, and you'll be amazed at how simple it is to remove that glue and the backing that's on it. Again, it's a wallpaper paste remover, and you can find it at Today's Homeowner. We're going to take a short break. When we come back, we're going in the aisles of the Home Depot with some pretty interesting stuff that's available there right now. You're listening to today's Homeowner Radio. We'll be right back. Today's homeowner is brought to you by Deitch Coatings. Easily roll on your new stone countertop, garage floor, and more in just a weekend with Deitch. And welcome back to today's Homeowner Radio Show. So glad you're with us and so glad that we can go in the aisles of the Home Depot with our friend Danny Watson. And I'll tell you, during this time of the year, one of the best projects, most gratifying, is making the front of the house look a lot better and raising that curb appeal. A lot of that starts with getting that lawn started in the right direction. Yeah, you know, I think having a beautiful green lawn in, in spring is just on everybody's to-do list. Mm-hmm. Nothing's more gratifying. And, you know, um, a great way to green that lawn up after a long winter is pick up some Scott's Turf Builder Triple Action. What I love about the Scott's Triple Action is not only does it have the nitrogen that's going to green up your lawn, but it also has weed killer. It a, has a, a pre-emergent as well as a post-emergent for your uh, weeds that have come up and also helps to suppress the crabgrass. And we all know you have to get ahead of that, you know, before it comes up. So put that down. That's going to really uh, wake that lawn up. And then it's going to be time to mow it. If you're in the... Um, the mode of getting a, a new mower, then I think you should take a look at the Ryobi 40-volt. Um, I've actually switched over to a lot of the battery-operated. Uh, what I love is you, you don't sacrifice power anymore. They're quiet. They're nice. There's just no maintenance about them. But the 40-volt uh, walk-behind mower is a great choice. And then, of course, pick up a, a good blower. And I like staying with that 40-volt um, uh power mm-hmm. because I think that you can you can use those batteries interchangeable with any of it and um, it's just the way to go I think today yeah it's definitely you know the the cordless mowers of years and years ago were okay but these guys work really well I have the 40 volt Ryobi at my house and uh, I use it quite a bit you know especially in and around some of the plants and trees and so forth but after you get it looking good man you can't underestimate the power of mulch, and I know that Vigoro has uh, some some mulch ready to go. Yeah, and we've got it in red, black, and brown, whatever color that you like that'll look great with your landscape and the color of your house. Nothing freshens it up, and of course, we run those deals in springtime, so you'll want to check that out too. And and I'll tell you what, you know, you, um, painting is always so good. And, you know, just step back and look at your house a little bit there. And if you have some paint that's looking a little bit weathered, put a fresh coat on it after you prep it properly. And you may even want to put a splash of color on there. And, of course, everybody there at the paint counter at Home Depot can, can help you out on mixing up exactly what you want. But once you get it all nice, boy, I'll tell you, one of the most welcoming things you can do to a front porch is go ahead and take care of some of that Hampton Bay furniture that's available. We have a great lineup of furniture this year. Hampton Bay, like you said, is a great a great brand. We have the Pinecroft 
French uh, linen. It, it's a two-piece wicker outdoor lounge chair. And, of course, there's so many other choices, but we have the entire lineup. Like you say, fresh furniture on the front looks great. Maybe a new uh, dinette set for Outback. And, and I'll tell you what, I love landscape lighting. That can certainly enhance it and, again, make a for a really cool look outside your house. And there's so many different um, low-voltage landscape kits that are at Home Depot to be able to, to easily do that on your own. But also, people are more and more have things out in their yard, different kind of yard art and so forth. Uh, even maybe that little garden gnome you might have in your yard might start looking a little moldy and mildewy. What do you recommend to get those nice and clean without spending all day scrubbing on it? Yeah, pick up some of the 30 seconds cleaners, ready to spray. Uh, it's a fantastic uh, product to use. And what I love is it's safe around the plants and the flowers, the lawn. Won't hurt it. At one, it will just clean that up and look great. And don't forget about some of the DIY projects and ideas. If you need some inspiration, it's all at the website. Hey, get out there and take a look at what you need in your front yard to improve your curb appeal. Head on down to Home Depot or HomeDepot.com. Get everything you need. You'll be glad you did. Danny Watson, thanks so much for being with us here on In the Isles. Thank you, sir. That was was a really good tip that Danny gave about being careful what you're spraying around Mm -hmm. outside of your house. I mean, we're all outside cleaning those exterior surfaces, but we spend so much time trying to get our gardens, our lawns in shape. You don't want to be spraying anything that's going to wind up damaging or killing, you know, these plants. So... Boy, exciting time of the year here. Everybody's getting excited about spring. Hey, go. let's get one more email in here from okay. Sue in Minnesota. How do I fix scratched wooden floors? Uh, well, it depends on how bad the scratch is. And, of course, if it's traditional wood floors like an oak floor or pine floor, um, if it gets too deep, you can only camouflage it a little bit. And I would uh, check into some of the putty pencils. You can get these little yeah. putty, putty pencils from the paint store that are pretty amazing. You, you can, of course, match it to to the color of your floor and it just fills in you know that crack just a little bit and it'll dry be pretty hard for you and kind of camouflage things a little bit sometimes you just have to use a rug and also with for minor scratches i would check in to rejuvenate can take out a lot of those minor scratches and a lot of minor distress that you might have on your uh, wood floor so very easy very simple it dries very quickly and should be able to take care of the majority of those scratches hey you're listening to today's homeowner radio when we come back we're going to wrap up the show with yet another simple solution don't go anywhere you're listening to today's homeowner radio we'll be right back Today's Homeowner is brought to you by Custom Building Products, the leader in flooring preparation products and tile and stone installation systems. And welcome back to the show. And it's that time of the show that so many people look forward to, Simple Solution Time. Joe, what do you have for us this week? All right, Danny, we were just talking about uh, sheds and foundations for sheds, that kind of thing. Well, here's another tip. If you have a shed, traffic in and out of your shed will often get trampled down and worn out the ground right in front of the entrance to the shed. And as a result, of course, that area becomes sunken a little bit and it turns to a soggy, muddy mess after a rainstorm. And it's just, it's not a good situation. So how do you prevent that? Well, here's one way to keep that erosion at bay. And you just want to make a simple landing pad 
out of a few two by fours, pressure treated two by fours, and some gravel. So you're just gonna build a rectangular frame, and again, it's important to use pressure treated lumber here, and out of two by fours, and set it on the ground right in front of the entrance. And you can use a shovel to cut around the ground around the outside of the frame and move it, then move the frame out of the way and dig out, you know, maybe two or three inches of dirt. And then set the frame back in place and line it with some landscaping fabric, that's just to keep weeds from growing through it, and fill it with gravel, you know, fill the excavated hole and the whole two by four frame with gravel. And you want to fill it a little above the two by fours because it will settle down. You can tamp it down with like a long four by four or something, just compact a little bit, add more because that will also settle into the ground over time. So you want to overfill it a little bit and that's it. And now any water will drain right through it. You know, you have enough gravel there. It's not going to erode the soil any longer. And if you need to move it, it's simple enough to move, you know, if you decide to move it to add an entry deck or a set of stairs or whatever. So that's how to make a really simple landing pad for your shed. Well, you know, I have that exact same thing right outside my workshop, you know, a little three by three area there. Yeah. Uh, uh, it is it is great for, you know, the drainage part, like if, especially when I'm walking up with my boots and I've got all that snow packed all over my boots and, <laughs> so, and I walk up and I have, what yeah. am I going to do with all this snow on my feet? So um, it, it drains <laughs> Yeah, in Mobile, well. Alabama, that snow has really become an issue. Yeah, boy, I'm telling you, blizzard conditions sometimes, I'll tell you. <laughs> it, it, it actually got down to 30 degrees one time. Wow, mm-hmm. good for you. Oh, boy, oh, boy. We got up to 30 degrees one time. <laughs> hey, I want to remind you what you can uh, see on the Today's Homeowner television show this weekend. We're in over 90% of the country, so we'd certainly invite you to check out this episode. It's one we're calling a growing project. Pretty cool. It was a room that uh, on the back of a home that used to be a little porch, and they closed it into a sunroom. Did a pretty good job on it many years ago, but it just didn't have a, a, a reason, didn't have a real mission uh, there. But the homeowner really loves plants. She planted plants all over. She wanted more plants inside. We created this really cool sunroom and actually used some rectangular planting containers and built them into these little raised beds inside. Now, these were built out of cedar, so it's easy just to pick them up and take them outside if you wanted to. Matter of fact, that's what she was planning on doing is um, on some really good stretches of weather, her and her boyfriend can pick it up and take it right outside to benefit from all of the great weather um, that we'll have during the springtime. So you need to check it out because we did, um, you'll, you'll, you'll enjoy seeing how we built the beds. And also we, um, you know, created a living space there with a table in the middle and even a hanging chair that you can just kind of hang out, chill out, do a little reading while surrounded by all of the beautiful plants. So check it out by going to todayshomeowner.com. Find out where you can see the Today's Homeowner nationally syndicated, Emmy-nominated television show in your area and you can check it out anytime. Joe, it's always good to to be with you each and every week and uh, it always amazes me when I think back over uh, the course of the show and how many questions and how many different subjects that we tackle during uh, the Today's Homeowner Show each week. And we never seem to run out of questions or answers. Which, is, which makes it really nice. Oh, yeah. We appreciate each and every one of you listening um, every week to today's homeowner. And I'm Danny Lipford, along with my co-host, Joe Truini, our engineer, Corey Wilson, and our great producer, Jacob Scarborough, and the whole today's homeowner family, hoping you have a fantastic week. We'll see you next week here on today's Homeowner Radio.